This morning, it's my privilege. We have, as we did last week, right back to back in January, some of our favorite things, and that is some of the missions organizations that we're privileged to be a part of in our support. Uh, this morning, you're going to get to meet if you haven't, or get to hear from if you know them. One of our own missionaries, my own nephew, his wife and family, have been missionaries for a number of years in the country of Botswana, Africa. For the next number of minutes, they're going to come and share. At the close of the service, we'll have an opportunity to help them as well as they have a number of materials back on the table in the back. Uh, to come and share with us for a few minutes, would you welcome Jason and Deb Shurek and their family? Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be here. Good to be back kind of homish for a while. Um, it was a, a planned thing to have our kids up here because I, I wanted to sort of brag on them a little bit. Our kids are part of our ministry. And um, we, they get disappointed when they can't come with us. There are certain times when they, like we do prison ministry and certain things, they can't come. Um, the guards won't let them. And they get disappointed. But um, they've been part of the ministry, and Hattie's been covered in blood, sort of be gross when she's helping me do some medical things. And Maggie has, when she was four years old, she did some street witnessing and prayed with a lady, gave her the gospel, and led her to the Lord when she was four years old. Just a couple of weeks ago, Jaira prayed with uh, my, my parents' neighbor, passed away and their daughter was just really hurting and Jaira prayed with her and she gave him such a big hug and cried and it's what she needed right now. So daddy just wants to say in front of everybody how proud I am of you guys. That means hello people. That means... Hi, and I'm Maggie. And this is Jaira. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> I thought it was a different picture up there, but we have two, yeah, two other boys, no, two other boys that are our sons in Africa. There's, yeah, there they are. It's Gift and Rex, so that's our part of our family. All right, so um, it's, again, I don't recognize a lot of faces. This is where I grew up spiritually. I lived for a decade or so in the Boston area, but we've been gone for 12 and a half years, and that's a long time. And um, I remember coming back after we had built, I think it was this section, and, and it reminded me of coming back when I moved out of my house. My mother turned my room into a sewing room. And I was kind of like, oh. and And that's not the, it's not totally accurate, the feeling here. But it was like, oh, man, I, I would love to have been part of that. I'd love to have been part of helping build and raise the funds and different things like that. But... Um, I'm so happy that it's not a small little building. That's where we got married in the, the children's area over there, however many years ago. you got to ask the wife those questions. Um, and uh, <laughs> she doesn't know either. <laughs> uh, so I'm just, I'm happy it's not that anymore. And we have a big uh, facility here and growing and adding on in the lives that are going to continue to be touched over there and more and more. Just the, the, the beginning just a beginning already. So, 12 and a half years ago, we went to Botswana, and in our own minds, we figured out what we thought Botswana needed, and being in nursing, and Deb was a teacher, we thought, we're going there to build an orphanage, our own mindset, and maybe we prayed about it, maybe we didn't, I can't even remember, but if we did pray about it, I'm sure we weren't really listening for an answer, and we were thinking, just assuming this is God's will. And we went there realizing the country doesn't need another orphanage. And, and so quickly, we realized, well, now what? And so we had already plugged into a really good Bible-believing church. And what we got from the Lord whispering in our hearts is to help 
Alan. He was the pastor. And so we plugged in. We met, met with him and said, basically, here I am, use me. And so quickly, within weeks, he pointed us to, uh, in a direction to a feeding program in a nearby village. And we, we plugged into that. We ended up taking the ministry over to the point where it was about 350 children, orphans and vulnerable children, um, that we were ministering to and feeding every, every week. And another thing, he said, Jason, I've been doing this prison ministry for years, almost like I kind of have to because I'm the pastor and it's not my thing. He said, you want to try this out? And so we went into the prison systems and been working in the prison system ever since and fell in love with it the right immediately. Okay, so like you said, we started at this church, The Rock, and um, we just kind of jumped right in to serving and into leadership, uh, preaching and teaching and holding discipleship groups and doing baptisms, going to the hospital, everything that's entailed with leading in a church. But we weren't technically leaders at that point. Jason had, what was the story you were sharing? He was saying that he, he always, what's that song? You tell yeah, him. Okay. You've probably heard the song, Please Don't Send Me to Africa. I, I always sang, please don't make me a pastor. And I always said, that's one thing I don't want to do. But lo and behold, don't tell God something you don't want to do because he's going to make you do it. So anyway, we started pastoring at the church. And it was the best thing. Because when we started pastoring, we started hooking up and making connections with people currently in the church. And there were some youth that were coming to the church. And we started hooking up with these youth. We started mentoring them. We started inviting them to our house. They'd eat at our house whenever they felt free to eat at the house, which was always. Um, we do discipleship groups. We just we were hanging out with them and training them and giving them the word so that they could dig deeper into the word. And then just by watching us and knowing us and seeing our hearts of serving, they'd say, hey, what are you doing? And Jason would say, what are you doing on a Saturday? Why don't you come with us? So they would come with us to go do the ministry that we were doing, and it kind of just built a fire inside of them to use what they were learning in discipling times and, and feed it to other people. All right. Um, yeah, but we've always, I don't know if it's by um, just... Uh, growing up here spiritually and watching my uncle, how he did things, but we've always led by example. And over there, it's, it's, it's a big deal, especially when you get dirty and you get sweaty and you, let, let's just face it, there's not a lot of skin color over like I have over there. And when, you, when there is, they're usually um, landowners or the boss or, or something like that. But when we would be the ones cleaning the toilets and getting dirty and getting sweaty, they, something, they, they saw something different and um, they, they liked that and they wanted that. And so the, all the things that we were talking about, the prison ministries, and maybe we'll get more into that, I don't know, uh, and the, the feeding program, when these ki kids, I'll call them kids, some of them were 17 years old, 16 years old, um, Botswana millennials, um, when they come along, they, they have this attitude of, uh, it's an African inferior, I can't do this, I can't preach the gospel, I'm not qualified, and, and just about, not just about, every single time when we were done with a feeding program or a street witnessing or going to the hospital and praying for people, they're deathly afraid, and at the end of it, when can we do this next? When is the next time we, we can do this? And it, it created just a hunger the main reason is because we weren't doing it for man. We were telling them, we're doing this for Jesus Christ. We're, we're feeding Jesus Christ. And the fringe benefit is these other kids that are um, getting fed. And that caused such a hunger in these young guys. It was a core group of, I, I want to say like 40, 50 young guys that every time the church doors were open, every time we were doing something, when, when, we can, when are we going to do this next? It, it caused a hunger that they didn't have the pastor Say, you know what, you need to be in your Bible, you need to read your Bible, pray every day. They're the ones digging every day simple, simple, for the simple reason of these outreaches and, and the serving. And they got, for lack of better wording, they got addicted to it. 
So he kind of mentioned the feeding program. You probably you see a bunch of pictures, these youth. They're doing the teaching. They're doing the preaching to the kids. They're playing the games. They're cooking the food. They're doing all the work of this ministry simply because of their heart to serve by example. But then the next pictures also show they came with us into the prison he was mentioning. We were playing volleyball. We were playing games. We were showing movies. We were doing things, and they'd want to come in up to there's a point where we every year these inmates, we would throw a big party for them at Christmas time where they could play games and earn tickets in order to buy themselves soap or to buy themselves a footstone or whatever else they might need that we could provide. But you can see a picture up here. There's about... 50-some people that every year they were giving up their Christmas, which is a big deal there. There you go home to the village for a whole month. But these people, they were going home and then paying their own transport to come back just to come into the prison with us in order to serve because they were so hooked on serving. And, and that's why we say it's the heart of the ministry. Yes, feeding the kids was good. Yes, teaching them the word is good and, and the way to live. And, and reaching these inmates is good. And all of it has fruit. But these people that serve, the fruit that it has in them it touches something even deeper with us because we know that now it's part of them. It's ingrained in them. It's who they are, and they're going to walk in the kingdom. One of these prisons um, that we did a lot of work at was called the Francistown Center for Illegal Immigration. And um, it sounds a lot nicer than it is, and, but, but what it was, and, and I, I, I got to mention this for, for dramatic effect. We're, we're pausing the, the Facebook Live because some of the things that we were doing with the refugees over there, the Botswana government doesn't like it very, very nicely. Um, and we have been monitored. We've been monitored by the, the um, intelligence agencies over there, and they had a watch on us. So that's, that's mostly also to say... Um, one of the things we want to do with you guys, and, and it, it's tough to get what we've done in 12 years um, up here. So we want to meet with you guys. If you want to have a supper, a, a dinner, a, whatever it is, except for Rusty, um, si <laughs> sign up in the back, and um, we can give you a little more information and stories about what we are actually doing with the refugees. We'll give a short little bit of it, I guess. So you can see pictures. This is at the prison. And like we said, we'd been going there since 2008. And then in 2016, um, some of these guys, they've been in there a decade, some of them seven years. And, and the Botswana law states that you can detain a refugee for 28 days. And then after 28 days, they should either be deported back to their home country or they should be sent to the refugee camp. But some people, they were in here seven, 10 years. So uh, in, in 2016, a Motswana lawyer, it, it had to take a national doing this. It couldn't be a foreigner. So a national lawyer, he said, you know what, this isn't right. So he took it through the courts. And long story short, over the course of February through December, he, they kept getting judgments saying, these people need to be freed, free them. So what they did is they freed them. You kind of can see the bars. There were three sets of bars. They freed them outside the first set and said, here's your stuff. Here's your money. Here's your phones. You're free and they kind of washed their hands of them. So we ended up, they weren't feeding them, we ended up having to gather people, these people that had been serving, we had them behind us. So we had to feed them for about eesh, six straight weeks, we went in feeding them every day until the government, through court systems and stuff, finally released them to the refugee camp. Then they were at the refugee camp for some time when the Supreme Court, it's not called that, but it's the equivalent, the Supreme Court over there said, ah, these judges that said they need to be free, we, we reverse all of those judgments. You're now criminals. You are no longer refugees even. You're criminals, and you're going to be rounded up and put into any prison in the country indefinitely, meaning for the rest of their lives. So then, do you want to share? Oh, okay. Just real shortly, um, we did some underground um, people moving um, because they were, they were going to go back to prison for the rest of their lives. They're not prisoners, they're refugees. You don't want to hear their stories. And so we did some um, Corey Ten Boom underground railroad type of stuff. That's where the government started monitoring us. And it's kind of odd because we're, we're helping get the unwanted they didn't want out of their country. Um, and we were, we were looking at some, some time in prison if we got caught over there. Um, I'm sure our embassy would have gotten us out, but um, we made a, a choice at that point in time that we have to try to help these people. And um, 
through that and some other people helping, we, we got, I think, 61 people um, across different borders to some freedom and some safety. Okay. So in that time, our ministry in Francistown, we had handed off the children's ministry. We had handed off the all the ministries we were doing, locals were now doing them. And we were in a transition with permits and stuff. So as soon as this finished, this refugee thing, we made the decision to move 500 kilometers south from the place we've been ministering for 12 years. So that was the beginning of this year in February that we started to make the move um, to this new place. There's a word to Africa. There's a ministry down there. There's a church, Praise Valley. There's a youth ministry we've hooked up with. All the same things we were doing with youth and we were doing with people were getting hooked up down there. And then now for the future. But also in the meantime, not only were we hooking up, we're looking for what the vision that we have or God's putting in our hearts. And um, if you could go to that building, um, just driving around actually looking for a place to rent. And I saw this building far off in the distance. I weaseled through it over some broken bridges. I got about 200 kilometers away and I looked at it and said, old abandoned building and my heart just leapt um, and I thought I, I don't know what it is but ministry we got to do something with ministry and so some of these young guys that w we were bringing along I would bring them also along and and say guys you are the community what what do we need here and they'd say oh, well why don't we put a campground here or something like this or help with this and, um, and then another guy came and and he I, I asked him the same thing too and it was almost like one of those duh moments, Jason. Jason, you've been working in the prison systems for since, every, since you got to Botswana. Um, you're working in a, a um, psychiatric hospital to try to help people get out. Why don't you turn it into a rehabilitation center? And just quickly, that's what we're going to be doing. That's what our next 5, 10, 15, 20 years is going to be doing. And um, we got about 20 acres of land um, given to us with it. It's, it's not just going to be like a halfway house. It'll house that, that building, once it's fixed, will house probably close to about 100 people, 100 beds. And it's going to be a place, first and foremost, we're going to disciple them, um, build them up, and give them a trade and teach them farming skills, teach them um, building, contracting, different, a whole bunch of welding, all these different things that we've already gotten um, people in Botswana say, I can, I can teach that, I can help teach this, and yes. So you can see from here with the picture and the land, and there's pictures of how it looks now, it's a big project. Um, and everything we've done in Francistown for 12 years was relational. It was mentoring youth. It was going here to this place that was set up and doing this ministry. But this one, it's a physical location for ministry. So it takes a lot more than what we've been doing for the past 12 years, including people and finances. So you can just, there's a page up here. We're just putting this out. Um, we need new partners. We need partners to support us monthly and with one-time donations towards this new project. We've got information at the back table. So we hope that you want to come talk to us. And even more so, we hope if you know us, that you invite us to your house and invite 20 other people we don't know. And if you don't know us, invite us anyway. And 20 people we also don't know so that we can come and share more details. Yeah, even, even if you're not interested in partnering with us financially, we want to sit down with you guys, and especially some of you old guys, even the new guys too that we don't know, um, just share our heart what's been going on there. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a great opportunity, and to hear these things laid out so well. I have myself haven't seen some of these pictures and I hope that you've enjoyed them and, and uh, seen the challenge and thank you for your faithful support of church. Things like this and the Gideons and so many of other mission societies we're able to support because you faithfully given, sir. We thank you for that. I'm going to ask you now before I do the remaining minutes of our service with a Bible message, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a special prayer. Today has been declared by the church in the United States to be Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, I revere that day and we honor it here today. And sanctity of Human Life is a very simple phrase. It just means that we as Christians work in both thought, word, and deed to honor, to honor the sanctity of all human life. 
from conception until natural death. Uh, we will pray today for our nation as it struggles to find its way forward in so many of the cultural battles that it faces and not always realizing that one of these greatest fronts of the battle is literally the respect of all human life. Uh, my wife is right now, as we're speaking, returning on a bus trip that she led. It took a bus full of people to the March for Life in Washington, uh, D.C., and we support the movement of the right to life. I can tell you that with the pleasure that since 1973, when abortion was made legal in America, to today, the abortion numbers today are the lowest they have ever been in American history since 1973, and we're thankful for those lives that are saved and the respect that is given. I can also tell you that the medical advancements and the things that are happening in our world, both at the beginning of and at the end of human life, have some frightening looks on our horizon. And I pray that you will join me in helping to pray and support how Christian and how simple is it to be able to say that we pray that all life would be reverenced and supported. And I pray that uh, we would find that, but also we pray for mercy today for all those who have been caught in the middle of this struggle and find themselves living with regrets or fears. And we pray for God's mercy. Would you join me in this prayer today? Our Father, today we stand before you in this great country with its great freedoms and the great opportunities we have. We thank you for our great history and we pray that you would cause our lives to become better. We pray for in this nation that you would give both our individuals, our churches, our leaders, both cultural and political, that you would give wisdom and grace to us. We pray that you would have mercy on the wrong things we have done that you would bring grace and healing on those who were harmed by them. And we pray that you would find, your, by your grace, help us to find the path to the sanctity, the respect of all human life from conception till natural death. We pray that you help us to be answers toward this cause, that you would show us how to be merciful and healing, and that you would bring our nation to the place where these causes would be respected and honored both in culture and in family and in government. We ask your help and your mercy and as we turn our hearts and minds toward the word of God this morning we ask that you would speak to us and we thank you for your mercy in Jesus name. If you can agree say amen and you may be seated. This morning is my privilege to speak to you once again on our series that we're calling Roots. Uh, Roots is a series we're speaking about as we talk about the most often quoted verses in the Bible, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And today we're going to get to speak about, I think, my favorite part of it because it is so helpful, so merciful, and so good for us all. But I've entitled my message today, How Big Is Your River? How Big Is Your River? If you think about water very much, where I was told that water is the stuff of life. Water is life. I think most of us probably haven't been in a lot of situations where you've really needed water. I mean, you know, we're working out, we're thirsty, something like that. But, but you know, really, like, we really need water and there's none there. Well, a couple years ago, I, I, I love to go backpacking and I like hunting. And so we went, my son and I went backpacking in Idaho in the mountains on a hunt. And of course, being my son, he's a generation younger and he's in better shape. But we put our big packs on and we looked at our topographical maps and, and we found spots. And so we took a little water in our backpacks and we decided we're going up to the top of this ridge which is maybe 12 to 1,500 feet from where we had parked, which was enough, especially considering it was nearly straight up and it was just full of bushes and branches. And more than once, both of us cut loose and slid down for a while, and then up we go. So after struggling to what seemed like near death to get to the top of this mountain, we pull out the map, and so where's the water, son? Well, right over there. Okay, so we hike over to the river, the stream, sure enough, there it was, all dried up. Nothing up there. I'm already getting thirsty just thinking about that experience. So, well, let's, there's more of them. Okay, well, let's go over here. Go over there. 
dried up, dried up everywhere. Matter of fact, the last water I could remember seeing was a cow pond that had a green, brown, yellowish color to it down by where we parked the truck. And even filtering that didn't seem very enticing at all. So thankfully we brought a few jugs of water in the truck. So all the way that 1200 foot hike up there, well, you know, it's like diminishing returns. You hike up there, you're so thirsty, you drink everything in your backpack. And now we got to go down to get more water. After a couple days, I said, I've had enough. I'm hunting somewhere else. I, I can't just up and down this mountain for water. And it really made me think about the fact that, you know, if we really were in a situation where we needed water, we'd take it a lot more seriously. We take it for granted. The rivers were there, or at least the bed of the river, the form of the river, but there was no water flowing in it. And this morning, I want to talk to us about a spiritual river that comes to us from God, a river of mercy, a river of forgiveness, a river of grace. And it flows so freely from God, it's a gushing torrent of living water. But I'm going to talk to us about why sometimes it seems like we get to where the map of our Bible tells us this river is, and it's all dried up for us. Why does it seem so hard to tap into this river of mercy and grace? And what can we do about it? I want to read today what we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse number 9. Let's read what Jesus said. He said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This verse we'll be speaking about today is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want to talk about that river that flows from God, the river of mercy, the river of grace, without which we can't have eternal life. We really don't even live properly on earth without this river flowing into our lives. But what I'm going to propose to us today is that how much water flows through that river into our lives is determined by us and not God. He releases it from his person without reservation. How much gets to us in the banks of the river of our lives we get to determine. Let's look at it briefly. First of all, this prayer, if you will, I really hope you will see as more than a prayer to pray, but a way to live. More than a prayer to pray. Is it a fine prayer to pray? Absolutely. If you kneel down and go before God and say, Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be holy. Is that a beautiful prayer? Absolutely. Is it a good prayer? Absolutely it's a prayer. But I do believe that Jesus meant it to be more than a prayer. I do believe that Jesus meant it to be a framework for our whole relationship. And this morning, we're going to talk about a critical aspect of that relationship. We're asking God in this prayer to forgive us for our debts. And, and you know as well as I do that there are other translations. And Luke's version of this rec record uses the word sin. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Trespass, debt. All those words are used. We'll come back to the word dead at the very end. But, but I want you to think to this moment about the word sin. We're asking God daily, remember, this is not a prayer you pray one time and now you're good to go. Say, Father, today forgive me of my sins. But when we say the word sin, we immediately think of deep, dark, shameful acts. Things that we do that are, oh no, that's terrible, that's awful. And, and frankly, most of us, I, I hope we do, uh, work really hard at 
trying to put those deep, dark, shameful things behind us. And we're asking God to help us. And, and many succeed, for the most part, in saying, you know, it's like the Amazing Grace song. I was once, was lost, and now I'm found. We think I used to do some of these really bad things, but, but now that I've found Christ, those are behind me. I pray they are. But the word sin in our Bible is the word hamartia, and it's a simple word. It means to miss the bullseye. So what we see as a deep, dark, shameful sin, what we're really asking God every day, Father, forgive me for the ways that I miss your mark. The ways I miss your mark. I would propose that we not take sin any lighter than we do. That's not my intent. My proposition is that we will consider the fact that there's lots of ways to miss God's mark of perfection. And we probably do it more than we think. And for those times when we don't think, when we pray every day, it would be really important for us to say, Father, forgive me for those things. Really important. It's also presupposing that God knows you're going to need it and has made provision for you to have mercy every day. I find that amazing. I find it loving. I find it gracious of God that when I go to God and say, Father, I, forgive me. I was praying one day, Lord, forgive me my sins as we forgive those. And I was thinking about that and I think, you know, I wonder how many stupid things I do that annoy you or miss your mark that you need to forgive me of. And I wonder how gracious you are that every day we have this time together where I can ask you that and we clear the air. I once uh, was listening to a couple and a wife was saying, saying, you know, my husband just drives me nuts. Well, why is that? Well, you know, four, five, six times a day, he'll look in my eyes and say, are you okay? You sure? We all good? You okay? She says, oh, that drives me nuts. And I thought, oh, well, that's nothing compared to me. I do it to my wife all day long. Not, not really that serious, but, you know, she's always this happy, emotional, chipper, joyful, positive person. And if she's not, you know, because she's very emotional. I always say it's raining in here today. You know, something's not right. I can feel the clouds are in the room. And so I ask her all the time, honey, are you okay? Yeah. Every now and then, I'm okay. Would you quit asking? Well, that's silly. And I know it's silly. And we, we laugh at each other. But when we have a relationship with God... This, is, this verse is kind of our moment to say, God, we okay? If I'm not okay, forgive me. I want to be good. And I know that's not terribly theological, and I can give you the theology, but, but I think Jesus was meaning practical as well as theological. I think Jesus meant this prayer to be a basis to live with God, and you're not going to live with God if you just assume you're the perfection of all humanity, and just when you kill somebody, you ask him for forgiveness. I think it's okay to say, God, are we okay? You know, I probably wasn't very patient today. If I've offended you by that, I hope you'll forgive me. And I hope you, I hope you can follow that this is kind of a relationship check as well as a theological principle that every day his mercy of forgiveness is offered. Every day his grace pours from heaven into your life, just like a river gushing down upon your life. Every day. But the last part of that prayer says, Father, forgive us. Two words, really important. As we. Could you just say out loud, as we? Unless I'm mistaking something, and, and I don't think I am. We're basically telling God how we want that river to come into our lives. That river is pouring from heaven. It's a gushing torrent of water. And it's right here. And we're telling God how far I'm going to open the dam of that river and let the water into my life. He's offering it. I'm saying, God, bring that water into my life to the same extent that I allow it to go into others. Forgive me at the same level I forgive others. And you read the last part, forgive others their trespasses. Every time Jesus spoke about prayer, not most times, 
Not a few, every time, even the smallest thing he said about prayer, he said, but wait, and when you pray, make sure you forgive. Why? Because we get to determine how big our river flows into our lives. God offers it. We're the ones that get to open the dam and let it come forward. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So have you ever had one of those days where you're reading your Bible? And I'm sure you have, but you know, just kind of a marked moment. You're reading your Bible kind of casually and all of a sudden, you know, we say it this way. It's like that scripture just jumped off the page at you. How many of you ever had those experiences? Like, oh, look at that. I wonder what that means. Yeah, I've had that. So uh, this is a story some of you've heard, but it was, goes back to the day when some of our kids were in high school. And my daughter, the youngest of ours, uh, we lived at the time, I don't think it was a half mile, somewhere maybe quarter mile-ish from our house to the school. And the weather was not below zero, it was decent weather. And my daughter, in my opinion, had spent a long time trying to get ready when she should have had a little time. And despite continual warnings of, you're gonna be late, you better get moving, she didn't. And just came nonchalantly upstairs at the last little bit saying, hey, can you give me a ride to school? And I had prefaced her ahead of time, hey, no, no rides today, you can walk. See the school over there? I could shoot an arrow and hit the school building. You can walk, you got healthy feet, we're gonna move it here, we're gonna make this happen. And so, you know, all those lectures and whatever, saying, no, I'm not giving you a ride, you gotta walk today. Come in, you know, started out nice and responded. She said, Dad, please, just give me a ride, please. Her mom's looking at me like, come on, just give her a ride. And I said, no, we're gonna make us, we're taking our stand here, you can walk, you can do it, and whatever. And, it really wasn't a crisis, but she walked. Yeah, everything's good. Read my Bible. Let's do that in the morning, drinking coffee, sitting in a chair, reading the Bible, and I'm reading James chapter two. And James just reading. James chapter two, verse 13, I get there and this verse jumps out at me, here it is. He shall have judgment without mercy who has shown none. And it just went woof, right up in my face and I thought, hmm. Huh? Mm -hmm. Right over the top. Oh, well, got ready. Oh, I have a funeral at church today, so we got to get moving. Oh, no, I didn't plan enough time. Still going to be okay, but got to move. See you, hon. Got to do this funeral. Got in the car, lived in downtown. Here's our church. I go zooming past the little lake over here to the right, and guess what I see? Red and blue lights in my rearview mirror. And it used to be a 35 mile an hour speed limit. I, I was prophetic. I was going about 50 ahead of the speed limit changed to 45, which is what it is now. Anyway, the policeman pulls me over and I got this, you know, the feeling. It's like, this is not what you want to have happen. And, and you would think of all the excuses. I'm a pastor. I'm on my way to a funeral. You know, the person might not make heaven if I don't get there fast enough, you know, whatever. So I'm driving there and he pulls me over. He's a very nice local policeman. He goes, you know, he, he seemed... Like he really didn't want to pull me over. It's like, I, you know, I need to see your license. I gave him my license and all that. And he's going to back to do his thing. And you know what you do right then? You know there's a couple options. You could get a warning, which would be good, or you could pay a big fine, which would be bad. So I prayed. I sat there and I said, God, please have mercy. And that scripture and my daughter all in a second, Dad, please, can I have a ride to school? No, you're gonna walk. Please, God, show me mercy, give me a warning. And I thought, nope, forget it, I'm gonna stop praying. I'm getting the ticket, I know it, I know what's gonna happen, I can read the writing on the wall, this, this was a setup. God allowed me, it was, and maybe just so that you could have a sermon example, I get to pay a fine. So sure enough, he comes back and said, you know, sorry, pastor, but I, I'm just going to have to issue you a ticket today. And I thought, I know, you do. Yeah, well, okay. Paid the ticket. He shall have judgment without mercy who has shown none. A rather mild sting to teach a really important lesson. Mild. A couple hundred bucks, which was a lot, but mild to teach a lesson of life. Why? The river of mercy comes into your life to the degree 
that you let it flow to others from your life. Shut off the mercy to others? You shut it off to us, to you. There's only one dial. You can't open the dial from God and then close it to people. God, I'm just going to make a big lake of mercy here and I'm going to swim in it all by myself. Those other jerks, we're closing them off. Well, there's only one dial. I'm never going to forgive that guy. Dial's off. God, dial's off. He's showing it. It's coming from heaven. It's not making it here because I dammed it up. I dammed the river up. So the concept of forgiveness that I want to bring to us today is just that. It's not a once for all thing and it's not a simple prayer. Lord, forgive us as we forgive others and okay, we're good to go. It's worth an examining look at our lives because the truth is nobody gets through life without getting stung. Nobody, you know, people say, well, you know, some people really have some hard things happen in life. I thought about that recently and I've been a pastor for a while. I don't know that anybody on earth hasn't had some bad things happen in this life. I just don't know. All of us have our own experience. Some people have those gasping experiences where you look at them and go, oh no, that should have never happened. I can't, but it's really sad. I get that. None of us are going to get through life without getting stung. And none of us are going to get very far in our Christian walk until we learn how to open that dial of forgiveness to others and mercy to others. Mercy to others. There are many, many people living in the wilderness of life with no water. They're like me on that camping trip. Got just enough water for you, and then you get up to the top, you're already thirsty, and you're thinking of staying overnight, and what's going to happen by the morning? Many people living in the wilderness with no water simply because we have dried up our own river, we've dammed it up ourselves. Some people have some water, but it's just a trickle. Because my willingness to offer forgiveness is short, small, and idealistic. Most of us struggle with forgiveness. So you think, hey, Pastor, this is really hard. I, I'm sure you're thinking it because I've got several reminders after the first service at how hard this was. I thought it was a happy, fun service. And they were like, ooh, that was hard, Pastor. So, so if you're thinking it's hard, you're in good company. I'll... I'll, I'll Many of us struggle with forgiveness because it's hard. Because it's hard. And there's some real practical reasons that are worth considering. We struggle with forgiveness because it feels so good to hold it back. It feels good. Not for long, but right away it does. A great Christian writer and, and leader, uh, John Bevere, wrote a really great book years ago. He called The Bait of Satan. The bait, like cheese on a mousetrap, the bait of Satan. You know what the bait was? The good feeling you get when somebody does you wrong and you think, oh, I'm not forgiving you, no way. It feels so right. And it feels good. Let them have it. It's bait. And you're going to swallow it because it tastes so good. But inside is a poison that will rot you from the inside out. It's the devil's trick. We struggle with forgiveness because it feels so good to not offer it. No. Suffer. I hate you. We struggle with forgiveness because we focus on all the wrong things. Now forgiveness is hard. I, I, I'll grant it. There, you, you're not hearing from me. It's easy. But I'm trying to get us to make a little progression. Don't take the bait. Just because it feels right at the moment, it's going to kill you later. One author, and I don't know who actually said it, several people got credited, said, holding on to resentment and anger and waiting for the offensive person to suffer is like eating poison and waiting for your enemy to die. Only person that's going to die is you. You're not doing them any harm, you're hurting yourself, but it feels like it. That's right. 
We focus on all the wrong things, so that's why it's hard. We focus on the offense done and how bad it was. You won't hear from me some nice little pat answer like, oh, it's not that bad. There are things that happen to people that are really bad. I understand that. I'm not trying to tell you to trivialize something that was really bad. But we focus on it and we remember it and we draw it up into the imagination of our, of our lives and we relive it over and over and over. And somebody said, we need to forgive and you go, oh, I can't. We focus on the wrong thing. We focus on the offender and how unfair it is that they get to go on and do their thing and I'm the one left here dealing with it. And it is unfair. But we focus on it. We focus on our own hurt and how devastating it was. All true. But we focus on it. We focus on what it would be like if this had never happened. And we think about it and we focus on it. Those are all true things and we can't help those experiences from coming to our mind. We can't keep them away, we, we, they're real and I get that. But what we should learn to do is focus on the right thing. Those are real things. We don't deny them, but we can focus on something better. And that something better is one word, Jesus. Jesus. We focus on Jesus. We focus on Jesus in his life. In his life as he lived with people. Done any study of history or watched any of these uh, dramas or TV things that, that show the, the brutality of the Roman Empire? It was a sick wicked, intolerant, brutal culture. Killing people for fun sometimes. Awful. It was the world that Jesus came into. He lived with people that were insincere, denied him, hated him, all of those issues, and finally killed him. But he lived with them every day. And I don't imagine if you met Jesus, you went up to him and you go, how are you doing today, Lord? Oh, bad day. Why? Stupid Pharisees again. And enough of those guys. Look at them. They're bad. Oh, I can't stand those people. How many of you think Jesus is not going to say that? In fairness, he might have just smiled and said nothing at all. Which would be a good clue for some of us that deal with difficult people. Just zip. Go talk to God. And make sure you're offering them the mercy you hope he'll give to you. Look to Jesus in his life, but even more importantly, look to Jesus in his death. Forgiveness is really important, but it is also important for you to realize tactically there's a couple of steps of forgiveness. It's really important because I know it makes people drastically nervous when we talk about having to forgive people and you look and there's the offender and they're not sorry. Not only are they not sorry, but they're continuing to do what the hurt was caused by in the first place. And nothing's changed. You think, well, how can I forgive them? Please understand the tactic of forgiveness is twofold. Forgiveness is both off. Forgiveness is one step. Reconciliation is another. There are people that you won't be able to reconcile with even though you offer to forgive them. That's really important to see because God, it would be unfair of God to demand that you reconcile with somebody who is unwilling to reconcile and continues to hurt you. But God does demand that you forgive them. Are you following me? So reconciliation is hard, but good. I'm really, really, really sorry for what I've done. I'm begging you to forgive me. I've changed. I'm going to be different. It's hard to say no to that. But what happens when they're not sorry? What happens when they just finished nailing your hands and feet to a cross and they're mocking you and they're gambling for your cloak, waiting for you to die? What did Jesus do then? 
He then says, hey guys, I forgive you, can, can we make up? No, never even talked to them. He didn't look down at his offender, that wasn't gonna change, he looked up at his father and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. That's offered forgiveness. All of us can do that. Maybe we can't reconcile, but we can offer forgiveness and God requires it. Because by offering it, even in prayer to God, you're opening the valve and letting forgiveness come to you. Forgiveness is a choice we make, not a feeling we experience. People say, I can't forgive. I, I will recognize you on that. But what I would ask you to consider, is it really that you can't forgive or is it that you can't control how you feel about it? I'll give you that you can't control how you feel. You feel hurt, you feel resentful, you feel broken, you feel afraid. There's nothing wrong with that. But forgiveness isn't about how you feel. Forgiveness is a choice you make. Back to the word debt. Remember, forgive us our debts. That's just one of the ways of saying it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others who are indebted to us. With man, when you forgive a debt, what happens? You lose the money, right? Pastor Jordan owed me $10,000. He doesn't, but if he did, no, no. If somebody owes you money and you forgive them, you're saying, I give you the money. Let it go. Not worth it. Right? You lose the money, though. You don't get it back. With God, when you forgive, you open up the river. The dam gets lifted. Even if you can't reconcile, you offer to forgive before God, and that river flows into your life. And health comes, and vitality comes, and life comes, and healing comes, and deliverance comes. With God, when you forgive, you don't lose, but you gain. You gain. I hope today you'll choose this forgiveness. Would you stand with me? Our worship team is coming out in the moment. We're going to close with a song. And we, we did that on purpose because we are really hoping that during this song, yes, sing it if you will, but we really hope that during this song, you can look at your life and think about that river coming to you and ask yourself what Jesus said. If you're at the altar praying and there you remember, and I love this translation, King James, Old English, I know, it said, and there you remember that you have ought, O-U-G-H-T, ought against anyone. Ought is an Old English word for zero. The number zero. If you come before God and there you are and you think, that person. He said, if you got something, let it go. I'm going to ask you today to think about your lives as they're singing this song and be willing to let some things go. I have no idea what they might be, but I think you might. Lord, we pray that you help us in Jesus' name. Come on up, guys.